Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human Hacking, the Art of Social Engineering. I'm Ron Bush, president of Ron Bush Consulting Incorporated, and uh, Shanna Utgard is with us. She's the success manager for Defendify. Um, I hope that you'll enjoy this presentation. We'll be going through a, a lot of things that maybe, maybe you've heard some of them, but quite frankly, you probably haven't. Shanna's excellent at this, and Shanna, I'm going to turn it over to you. Thank you, Ron. Happy to be here and uh, doing another presentation with you. I always enjoy it. And this is my favorite topic to talk about. As Ron mentioned, I am Shanna Utgard. I am the success manager here at Defendify. I absolutely love talking about social engineering. I say it a thousand times over. It's equal parts fascinating and terrifying to me. Uh, so it's one of my favorite things to go through. We're going to start off here with a couple of quick stories. The first one that we're going to talk about is the Anthem breach. And maybe some folks on this call may have been affected. There were 78.8 million people in total that had their health information lost in this breach. And it all started with a phishing email that came into the organization. An employee interacted with that email and it allowed remote access to the network. One of the alarming details about this breach is that it took Anthem almost a year to discover that an attacker was even inside of their network. And then one other quick story here. It's a very interesting one. McEwen University is a Canadian school up in Alberta. They were doing some construction on their campus and they got an email from their construction company saying that they were changing banks in a few weeks. We wanna make sure that future invoices are sent to the new bank. Some communication went on back and forth for a few weeks between the school finance department and that contracting company and the university paid the contractor invoices. Uh, but instead of paying the contractor, they sent wire transfers for $11.8 million to cyber attackers that had been posing as the construction company all along. What's amazing to me is that crimes this significant are accomplished simply by email. So one of the things that we hear a lot is that organizations think that they are too small and that a cyber attack isn't likely to happen to you or you don't have any information that an attacker would want. But in actual fact, 68% of small businesses have experienced a cyber attack in the last month. Um, we hear so much about these large enterprise organizations being victims of cyber crime, but what we don't hear is that 50% of all attacks are actually targeting small businesses. And when these companies say, I don't have any information that an attacker would be after, let's think about the kind of information that we have that we would need to protect. Um, the first thing that we always hear is credit card data. Uh, but there's a lot more to it. One way to think about it is by asking the question, would I be comfortable posting this information on a public facing website for everyone to read? Uh, something like a sales brochure? Sure, that could be public facing. You'd want that kind of information out there. But if the answer is no, then it's sensitive and needs to be protected. So beyond just credit card data, it could be personally identifiable information for your employees, your customers, company IP or trade secrets. What type of information would be devastating to your, to your company if it got out? Uh, tax documents for your company, for your employees, bank information, wire transfer details, vendor agreements or price lists. Sometimes you've negotiated additional discounts. You wouldn't want that information out there. Your legal documents, contracts, um, customer sensitive data. So it goes a lot further than just that credit card information. Uh, you want to start to think about the information that you're storing, determine what is sensitive and figure out how to protect that. And when we talk about protecting it, who we're protecting it from, these cyber threats are coming from a variety of different areas. So up there in the top left, we have cyber criminals that are causing their crimes to make money. In the top right, we have hacktivists who are causing their attacks, maybe because they don't like a particular company or a political party. Anonymous is a great example of hacktivists. In the bottom left, we have cyber soldiers. They could be from other countries or even be state-sponsored. They're going after the United States or they're going after public or, or private government organizations. We're doing the same thing in the other direction in a def defensive nature. And then in the bottom right, we have our insider threats. Um, anybody recognize this guy from the movies? If you do, toss it down there in the chat. Um, this guy is our insider threat. 
these are employees, contractors, ex-employees, or ex-contractors who have or had valid access to the network and data. Uh, their actions could be malicious, but often they just do things in error. It could be as simple as, you know, I go to send an email with some sensitive information to Ron, I start typing in R-O-N, I hit enter, it auto-populates the wrong Ron, or I hit, instead of hitting the N, I hit a B and I send it to a Rob, and boom, I've just sent confidential information to somebody who shouldn't have it just because I was moving too quickly. Um, so it could be very easy to become an insider threat. When we talk about cyber criminals causing their crimes to make money, this gives you an idea of what data sells for on the dark web. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, the dark web is not a place that you go to with Google Chrome or Internet Explorer. People use Tor browsers to supposedly hide their identity. There's all kinds of chat rooms and forums and people are selling guns and drugs and information and social security numbers. You can see those are dollar each, a non-financial login, a dollar. Credit card information with CVV, only $5. That's because the credit card companies are getting better at stopping that fraud. Fulls info comes with a lot more information that supports it. The more valuable uh, it is, the more information it has. Financial logins, obviously those are worth a pretty penny. But top of the charts consistently, we see our medical records. That's because it includes a lot more information. We've got all of the personally identifiable information, the social security number, insurance company information, which can be used for insurance fraud. We also see health information for individuals. So um, there have been instances of uh, extortion of a CEO of a company because they had a undisclosed medical condition that they didn't want to get out and the attackers used that to extort them. Uh, so medical records, if you store those, definitely are a target. Those fetch top dollar in the dark web. There are a lot of different tactics that cyber criminals use, but today we're going to specifically focus on social engineering. Uh, so this is the use of deception to manipulate individuals into divulging confidential or personal information that may be used for fraudulent purposes. This is absolutely fascinating to me, having previously for <laughs> one semester been a psychology major. Uh, I love this type of stuff. The most prevalent type of social engineering are phishing emails. Over 90% of successful cyber attacks start with a phishing email. So this is where an email comes into an organization, could look like it's from an employee or an executive or a contractor or a vendor. It's trying to get them to interact with it in some way, shape or form. Back in the day, this was more of a shotgun approach. We were casting a really wide net, targeting a large number of people at a time. You, know, you may have even received at one point one of those emails from a real live Nigerian prince who has millions of dollars to get out of the country. We do still see this quite often. I saw an article the other day that said that this still brings in $700 million. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I was special, but I guess he sent that to everyone. I know, right? I just thought I had long lost family, no idea. But now these, uh, these phishing attacks are so much more sophisticated and professional. They're, they're coming from their, your bank saying there's been suspicious activity uh, or, you know, your social media saying an unauthorized sign-in or a FedEx shipment coming your way. It's not as easy anymore as just, you know, having some weird funky URL or bad spelling and grammar. These are really, really good emails. And part of the reason why these attacks are so rampant is because there is so much information that is available about us and our organizations online. So these attackers are researching on LinkedIn and Facebook. They're on your company webpage. They're learning about all of the different specific relationships in your organization. Um, if your marketing team is doing a really great job of promoting your company, there's gonna be even more information for those criminals to utilize. If we look back at that story about McEwen University, their marketing team was doing a lot of releases about the new buildings on campus and working with XYZ construction company. So anybody anywhere in the world could have perpetrated that attack with the amount of information that was available online. So there, there's always this research phase with the good cyber attackers. So they are gathering information on a targeted employee through social media. Um, they may have put uh, information out there about hobbies or um, even just different relationships within the organization. They can see on LinkedIn. They can look and see um, who might be your boss or who you report to or, you know, if you're just somewhere that's lower in the accounting department and they can look and see who the CFO is on, on LinkedIn. There's a myriad of different uh, available databases out there that give, you know, kind of sales insight about these companies. Um, 
Also, there are um, situations where we have seen Facebook assisting attackers because they are able to find C-level executives uh, in certain corporations, and then they look for family members on social media who may have a mobile device that is also connected to the same network as that C-level executives company issued cell phone. So they're doing a lot of homework behind the scenes. They're learning as much as they possibly can about us. They're perusing social media for things like people starting new positions. Um, new employees are always you know, eager to do a great job. They're eager to please. So you know, when they post that uh, Shanna just started a new position as a success manager at Defendify, that instantly is going to make me a target. Um, another way that social media is used is they actually craft uh, requests that look like they're coming from somebody trying to connect on LinkedIn. And as soon as you click on that link, it takes you to, uh, you know, LinkedIn, you may log in, or let's say you log into your real LinkedIn account, you don't even see an actual connection request there. We're also seeing social media being used to deliver malicious attachments. Um, one of the things about social media is it's, it's kind of a, a zero trust environment. You know, social networking is so simple to use that it causes people's guards to be lowered. A friend that you know pretty well could send you a message with, you know, a, a photo. You, of course, seeing that it looks like it comes from, you know, your, your friend's Facebook Messenger, you see their picture, um, you click on it because you assume that it's safe. You never know if they've had their account compromised and the pictures that you think that you are downloading are actually downloading malware onto your computer. Another thing about social media as well is a, a lot of these sites use shortened links. So it's way more difficult to see what you're actually clicking on. And there's also instances where these attackers make a fake profile for an employee. They may even connect with other friends in the industry. Um, so that is a tactic that is called gatekeeper friending. So that's a new one, whoops. Um, another thing that we do a lot is promotion of our company on social media. So for example, this happened to be a digital event this year because we're pandemic and all, um, but we like to post things about, we're going to be at such and such a trade show. Come visit us at booth one, two, three of, of this show. So all of that information that we're putting out there on social media can eventually be used against us. So they're gathering all of this intel. Sometimes they don't have enough information, so they might do something called pretexting to get even more. Um, this is a form of social engineering where the attackers uh, focus on creating a good pretext, some type of fabricated scenario, and they're usually trying to obtain certain bits of information from their target, either you know, to confirm their identity, to round out some additional information that they, they might need, and then they're able to stage some secondary attacks. Oftentimes, we're seeing them posing as uh, business leaders, HR personnel, IT staff, the finance department. This is an actual example of a pretexting email that I received, looking like it's coming from my co-founder of my company. Hello, how are you doing? Let me know if you are available at the moment. I need you to help me go shopping now. P.S. I'm busy at the moment, but we'll look out for your reply. Busy at the moment because Rob is out over at this conference. And then all of a sudden I get this email saying, are you available? I need you to go shopping. Probably going to be followed up with a request for me to go out and buy gift cards. You've probably seen that one happen before. And then quite often, once these attackers gather all of this information, they perform what is called spear phishing. So they're sending emails to a specific individual trying to get them to interact with that email. Um, sometimes they'll spoof an email address so that it looks like it's coming from a trusted sender, but it's not. Even with the most enterprise level comprehensive spam filters in place, these types of emails are still going to get through. And when they land on your employees' inboxes, they're trying to get you and your employees to do one of four things. They want you to fill out a form to get some information, uh, most commonly as usernames and passwords. They want you to click on a link, uh, like in those FedEx or bank examples, which will take you to a malicious website. They want you to open an attachment, open a file. Uh, a lot of phishing emails have these attachments, Word, Excel, PDF are all very popular. And the last thing they're trying to get you to do is take action. So perhaps it's send a sensitive document, try to get you to pay an invoice, initiate a wire transfer, so send some type of confidential information. 
And these requests are always shrouded in fear, urgency, and doubt. So uh, fear could be things like, you know, an unauthorized login from a country that most people would consider bad. Uh, cancellation notice, if you don't act now, uh, you know, you're going to have a, some type of fear of loss or we see tax fraud scams. Um, there's a lot of urgency related to this. So it could be, you know, time bound, I need you to act now. Uh, I'm, the task I'm asking you to complete is urgent, but yet I'm unable to be contacted for the next few hours. Uh, could be, um, you know, a credit card was declined or you know, anything with some type of time limit. There is curiosity type um, attacks, where it's like, is this a picture of you or something news article related? Um, we saw this a lot with the pandemic with there's been a new case reported in your area. Click here for details. Um, another instance is greed. Uh, people looking for things like uh, tax information or payroll information for other employees. Uh, money mule schemes is another one that plays off of the, the greed emotion. It's not always negative, sometimes it's positive. There could be a reward associated with doing something. So I always tell people, do a really quick gut check. Uh, if it's asking, if the email is trying to get you to do something without thinking first, trying to create that urgency, if there's some type of emotion that's involved with it, stop. Dead in your tracks, stop. If anything is urgent or emotional, it probably is a phishing email. It's probably that fear, uncertainty, doubt, uh, and the emotional side of the social engineering. Anna, just a couple of things. Uh, recently, in fact, in the last few days, yesterday I was on the phone with a lady that was telling me she had gotten an email that uh, they claimed to have a video of her watching porn and they were going to release it if she didn't, uh, if she didn't send them Bitcoin. Just a few days, one day last week, a tax planner, of all things, had had his email uh, broken into or, or compromised. And uh, now his clients were getting emails telling them to do things. Fortunately, one of his clients called him and said, have, have you changed your email or something? This is, this is not like you. And he had him forward that email to him. And sure enough, it was his email, but it was from, uh, from an old signature and long story short, this can happen to anybody. Uh, ransomware, which I know you're going to get to uh, Clark County School District just the end of last month uh, uh, with 320,000 students, all of their employees, all of their students, um, all of them now have had their information. Ransomware hit, the school district declined to pay. And so now the, the hacker has turned all that, made all that information public. Social security numbers, addresses, dates of birth, everything on the students and the employees. It's terrible, absolutely terrible. And, and again, kind of fascinating though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not the one that's getting, uh, getting compromised or getting- uh, Oh, we, we all either have been compromised or will be compromised. I, I love that quote that says, uh, you know, you're, you're either, um, You've been compromised or you just don't know it yet so um, that's the that's the approach that I tend to take is is assuming that something is going to happen and then I'll either be pleasantly surprised or um, I'll be prepared so <laughs> there for the worst and hope for the best exactly and we've seen a, an increase especially there was a there was an app at the beginning of the pandemic really uh, hitting the East Coast, where, where we're located over here in Portland, Maine, um, there was a app that it was available for download on the Google Play Store, and it was you know, said to be a coronavirus tracker map. But that's exactly what it did. It did was a uh, sextortion scheme, saying, you know, I've locked up your phone, I've pulled all of your pictures, I'm gonna I'm gonna send all of your nudie pictures out to everybody in your contact list unless you pay me X amount of money in Bitcoin. So uh, it's just a different different type of of ransomware and extortion delivered in a different format, but you know, still the same thing. Using that curiosity, using that fear using that, that urgency. Um, you know, another thing too is, is they play off of the helpfulness side of things. People, you know, at, at our, our best, we want to be helpful. So new employees, they want to come in and they want to do a good job. So when it looks like they've got a request from a manager asking them to buy gift cards or wire money, um, you know, they, they want to do a good job and they want to help out and they may not know the 
processes and the procedures because they're new. So instead of verifying, they might just send the wire transfer. And the attackers know that because they've watched and they've seen that, you know, you started in this role, you posted a new job update, and, and they've seen those types of things. Um, you know, outside of a business level, there's also the, um, the scams where and they call up, you know, your grandmother and say that, you know, the grandson's stuck in some other country and they need some money or it's your friend that's stuck in another country that needs some money in order to, to get out. So, you know, they, they play off of that helpfulness side of things all the time. So I always looking for some type of emotion in there and generating that emotional response. And it's not just computers any anymore. It's text messaging can also be an attack method now. The biggest reason is because many employees are able to access sensitive company information on their personal personal mobile phones. So now they are increasingly being targeted through, you know, text or SMS. So you get an email that says that your Apple ID is about to expire. You click on the link. It takes you to a page that looks like Apple. You enter your credentials. You sign in. The page crashes. You're like, that was weird. Uh, and then, you know, meanwhile, they've grabbed your username and password. Also could be something like, you know, they, we talked about spoofing with emails. It can be done through text messages as well, looking like it's coming from the CEO. Again, urgent request. They need it done by this particular time. I'm, I'm unavailable to be, to be contacted for the next couple hours, so you have to do it right now. And then another example, I actually got this yesterday. So third notice, Shanna, if you do not claim your gift from Amazon Plus Prime before 6 p.m., you will lose it. Click to get now. Um, obviously, I didn't click, but I did screenshot. Um, and one of the other things here with, the, with these text messages, if you think about it, think about the open rate for a text message compared to an email, right? We open every text message. Uh, there's no spam filter in place for text messages. And then we look at these things and, and these are really shortened links. Like what, what does that even mean? Is that good? Is that bad? We don't know what we're clicking on. People do it all the time. And then there's also uh, vishing, which is a, a combination of voice and phishing. So just like trying to get the confidential information in a, a phishing attack, instead of using an email or a website, vishing is conducted by phone. So the targets of this are usually, you know, the people on the other end of the phone, assistants, receptionists, um, finance team members. And we see things like tech support scams, uh, you know, ring, ring, this is John from IT, which I figured out because I looked your company up on, on LinkedIn and I was able to figure out who's in what role. Uh, and I need to do some alphabet soup IT thing that you probably wouldn't understand anyway. So what's your password? Um, so people fall for this all of the time. It's very easy for scammers to fake caller ID. So if they're asking for any type of personal information, details about the company, even something as simple as, I'm trying to get in contact with Rob, what's his email address? Or somebody's phone number, um, you can offer to take down their information, or you can always go directly to a vendor or company website, tell them that you're gonna call them back directly to confirm. Anytime, like if, if, you're, if your bank, let's say it's your bank that's calling, right, with the finger air quotes, uh, and if you say, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna hang up and I'm gonna call the bank back on my known verified number, if it's actually somebody from your bank, they're gonna say, okay, no problem. If it's not somebody from the bank, they're going to try to keep you on the phone. Um, and especially if they're trying to pretend to be like, you know, in a panic or an angry executive in a time crunch, it is always okay to hang up the phone and call back on a verified number. So why are these attackers um, going through all this trouble of doing all that research and trying to send these emails? What are they trying to accomplish here? Some of the four biggest things that we see in social engineering, what they're trying to accomplish is business email compromise malware and attachments, ransomware delivery, or credential harvesting. So let's talk a little bit about these. Um, in a business email compromise situation, we're gonna give an example here. So thanks to some careful research, uh, our cyber criminal now knows that the company CEO is traveling. Um, so an email is sent to a company employee that looks like it came from that CEO. Slight discrepancy in the email address, but maybe the spelling of the CEO's name is correct and the signature line looks pretty similar. In that email, the employees asked to help the CEO out by transferring $500,000 to a new account. The email has you know, urgent yet friendly language and uh, is trying to convince the employee that he's going to be helping both the CEO and the company, so playing off that helpfulness side of things. The email also stresses that the CEO would do this herself but since she's traveling, she's not going to be able to make the fund transfer in time um, and really needs it to be done, but again, can't be reached. So without verifying the details, the employee you know, truly believes that he's helping the CEO and the company and he complies with that email request 
sends out the wire transfer. And a few days later, the employee, the CEO, and everybody in the company realizes that they have been a victim of a social engineering attack and have lost half a million dollars. Actual situation that occurred. Um, so that is a type of business email compromise. A few other different types here. We have a bogus invoice scheme. So the attackers could pretend to be a supplier and ask for a fund transfer for you know, the, the payment of an invoice to an account that is owned by the fraudsters. CEO impersonation, so they're posing as any type of executive, asking employees and finance to transfer money to an account that they control. And then a lot of the times, if, there is, if the email has actually been compromised, like Ron, you were mentioning with that, was it an accountant or tax preparation? Tax, tax planning. Yep. So in that situation, if you actually go into, you know, your, your Outlook, your G Suite, a lot of times there are rules that have been put in place so that attacker, if they're able to compromise your email account, they'll go in and they'll make every one of the uh, emails that have been sent, they'll delete a copy of it. Any incoming replies will be automatically forwarded off to the attacker. So they'll go in and actually modify the rules in your inbox. So any communication that's coming in or going out looking like it's coming from you, you have no record of that in, in your normal inbox. So uh, happens quite frequently. And we see that in that account compromise situation. Uh, and often in that, in that situation, we have invoices for payment or you know, sent out to vendors or even just malicious attachments that are sent out to everyone in the email contact list. And then any payments or any responses that are sent back are coming into the fraudsters. Um, there's third-party impersonation, so sometimes they'll pose as, you know, let's say they'll pretend to be a, a lawyer or somebody, you know, in charge of crucial confidential matters, and they'll make some type of bogus request. Oftentimes, it's through email or phone, and it's like at the end of a business day trying to get you to urgently act. And then um, another business email compromise with data theft, so it could be employees in, you know, HR or bookkeeping, and uh, they're the attackers are trying to get personally identifiable information or uh, tax statements for employees or executives. So another thing that these attackers are trying to do is get you to open some attachments. So here we have an example of a, I don't know about you guys, but a lot of the times companies nowadays are receiving uh, digital voicemail messages or you know, it's forwarded to them in an email and like a little wave file. So we see this as an attack method right now, a new voicemail message, piques your curiosity, you want to know who it's from, uh, or it could just be a, um, you know, attachment or a PDF, uh, it could be something as simple as, you know, a file share from a AP, you know, some type of payment report. Uh, we also see this with resumes, unsolicited resumes. You should have a clear, uh, very defined process for submitting an application, preferably through some type of web portal. Um, opening just an unsolicited resume can be a bad idea. Payment information, invoices, receipts, W-2s, tax forms, HR or benefits information. Sometimes it looks like it comes from someone internally and it's like, we've updated our vacation policy with an attachment. Um, always wanna make sure that you verify that internally before you open something, even if it looks like it's coming from somebody inside your organization. Uh, scans and faxes is another attack method. Um, quotes or price information, any type of attachment related to those topics. And uh, increasingly common, we're starting to see malicious macros in these attachments. It's a very common way of delivering ransomware. A lot of the times these documents are getting past antivirus prob uh, programs, no problem. And there's some type of uh, sense of urgency for the recipient in the actual email uh, or the document itself that's going to step you through the process of enabling macros. Everybody see that enable content there? Um, sometimes there's even little instructions like this that will show you exactly how to do it. If users don't enable the macros, a lot of times this attack is unsuccessful. Once you open that attachment and you enable the macros, little bits of code are able to be executed. That malware is gonna start functioning uh, and then it's gonna run some, some bits of code that can allow uh, remote control of a device. It can install a keylogger and, and track every single thing that you're typing into your computer. So there's a lot of different things that can happen when you open those attachments uh, and those, those little bits of code in there start to run. So uh, warning, do not enable those macros, especially if you don't know where that's coming from. Because what can happen is you can get 
infected with ransomware. Um, this is a type of malware that locks up your computer, gives you a warning message that all of your files have been encrypted and you have to pay us X amount of money in cryptocurrency and then we'll give you a code and you can unlock your data. Um, if that even works, 50% of uh, companies are never able to get all of their data back. And oftentimes that ransomware is programmed to travel laterally through the network. So it starts off on my computer and then it goes to Ron's and it infects him and it moves on until it's uh, hit everybody and, and backups and servers and storage devices. And one of the biggest problems with ransomware is downtime. Hopefully your IT team has really great backups in place, but wiping machines and reinstalling systems from, from those backups can take significant time. So even with really good backups in place, a lot of companies are still finding themselves down for days at a time. And there's a lot of lingering effects from that ransomware. Um, just think about from, from your business perspective, if all, your whole network was hit with ransomware and you had to not only pay for the whole remediation costs, but even just think about your people costs. You know, if you're not able to bring any new revenue in or, you know, whatever, whatever you do processing, you know, your, your orders and collecting payment from your customers or, you know, whatever your business does, if you're not able to do that, and you have to pay your people at the same time, um, that can be a pretty penny, especially considering a, an average ransomware attack can last a week or more. And this is becoming more popular because there are actually ransomware as a service kits that you can buy on the dark web. So you can literally go in and buy a ransomware as a service kit. You can see features here, fully customizable. You get 50% of the decryption price, instant withdrawal. Um, so you can literally buy ransomware as a service kits and, and launch them at different companies uh, and collect that uh, hot Bitcoin. And the new trend with ransomware, it used to be, you know, you have the ransomware infection, these attackers are demanding a certain amount of money in cryptocurrency, and then they will provide you with that decryption key. But the, see the, the good and bad side of this, it's like a game of cat and mouse. Um, our IT professionals have done such a great job of getting us set up with really good backups. We're like, oh yeah, you can take your ransomware. I'm gonna wipe and restore and bring my machine back up and I'm not paying your ransom. So then these attackers pivot and they start taking a copy of the data. So they're doing this data exfiltration. They're not only infecting you and locking up your whole system, but they're pulling all of your, your uh, sensitive data and making a copy. Then the ransom demand has what I call double extortion, because not only are they trying to extort you for the ransom, uh, but what they're saying is, if you don't pay us X amount of money in cryptocurrency, then we're going to release this information, like Ron, you said, with that school. We're going to put all your social security numbers and your address and all your personal information out on the dark web for anybody to use. Uh, and then not only do you have uh, your breached notification costs, so notifying all of these people that you've lost their information, maybe even, you know, identity monitoring services or, um, you know, all the other costs that can be associated with ransomware and the reputational side of things that you had that information lost, or you can just pay the ransom and hush everybody up Uber style and make sure that, you know, hope that nobody ever finds out about it. So it, it, it adds a whole new level of complexity. It's like, you know, we can't just restore from backups because now we're going to have a full-blown data breach uh, on our hands. So very, uh, very interesting. The other thing that these attackers are trying to get you to do is give up some uh, login credentials. They're trying to do some credential harvesting. So here's a couple of examples of different Netflix emails that go out. Um, so we got one that's saying we're having some trouble with your billing information. The other one says we got to reset your password. What it's going to do is take you to a page that looks like Netflix. It's got all the right logos. It's even got a you know, login.netflix-activate.com. I mean, could be maybe a Netflix domain. Uh, and it's asking for you to validate payment information. So uh, not only that, uh, give your full name, your card number, your ex expiry date, security code, and just for good measure, your mother's maiden name. But it's got secure server and some locks everywhere, so it must be good, right? So they're trying to get you to put your username and password in there, your billing information, and harvest all of those credentials. Um, the attackers are always after usernames and passwords, whether they're collecting them directly from a website or they're getting them from the dark web. What you see here are some of the largest breaches that have occurred in recent history. In the middle is the number of accounts that were compromised in the millions, and in every single one of these examples, it's username and password, username and password. 
attackers know that even if you haven't logged into MySpace in decades or MyFitnessPal in years, chances are you're probably using that password across more valuable accounts. And this is where the bigger problem comes into play with password recycling. It's really important that you don't use the same password across all of your accounts. 73% of online account, accounts are guarded by duplicated passwords. Uh, they know that a lot of these, uh, a lot of people are using the same password for their email, their social media, their banking. Not only that, they're using them across both personal and business accounts. So let's go through a little scenario here. We're, we're all back in the office. Just, just roll with me for a second. And your team has just done an absolutely spectacular job. You want to reward them and you want to order lunch. So you go to your local pizza places website and they make you create an online account to order so you use your work email address because you're ordering pizza for the team and you use your password that you use for everything say it's sunshine one two three exclamation point attackers know that your local pizza place probably doesn't have good security measures so they break in and they steal the database of usernames and passwords and they look and they see that that's a business email and password they're going to go and try that combination to get into all of the the other accounts are going to try it in your email your office 365 or your g suite or your quickbooks they're going to see that you're you know a, a tax preparer and maybe you use you know thompson reuters and before you know it they could have the keys to the castle if you're password recycling i love this real world example of this password recycling problem so this was when the disney plus service came out and within hours of Disney Plus service going live, there were all of these articles about how Disney had been hacked. And this just made me laugh. It, it wasn't that Disney was hacked. It was that somebody who used Shanna at Gmail and Sunshine123 exclamation point for MyFitnessPal, who had usernames and, and passwords compromised, also set up their brand new Disney Plus account with Shanna at Gmail, Sunshine123 exclamation point, and these attackers took all of those lists of compromised usernames and passwords, and they built these tools that would just run that entire list against the Disney Plus website and see how many of those old username and password combos would get them into the new Disney Plus website, and then they started selling those as valid um, valid Disney Plus logins. These Reddit comments crack me up. I thought it was uh, very amusing. So. Did anybody else get hacked? Um, so it's uh, it, this is a real life example of the problem with password recycling. Um, and speaking of passwords, going back to these attackers and their research phase, one of my favorite um, things to, to talk to people about is their passwords and what type of information that they share on social media. So if I was to look at your Facebook profile, I could probably see your children's names, your spouse's name, your hobbies, other people that are in your family, your favorite vacation spots, your dog's names, and then I could scroll through a bunch of your posts and I could deduce a lot of significant dates like birthdays or anniversaries. So when you put a post on social media that says, oh my gosh, I can't believe my baby boy is turning 18. Oh, Caden, where did the time go? It feels like just yesterday I was holding you in my arms, right? And you post that on June 25th. I now know that Caden's birthday is June 25th. He was born 18 years ago, so that puts it at uh, 2002. So I could start trying some different password and uh, combinations on your social media account. I could try, you know, Caden 06502, uh, any number of combinations between your two kids' names, significant dates, your pet's name, any of that type of information. Um, those little surveys, this one always cracks me up, the first job, favorite food, favorite this, favorite that, first vehicle. Um, a lot of those, oddly enough, are security question answers. So stop sending any type of memorable data out in those surveys because the pandemic has been a little bit boring to you. So really caution what type of information you are sharing out there on social media. Here's a little fun cartoon here. You can name her whatever you like, but be sure it's something you can remember. You'll be using it as a security question answer for the the rest of your life. How much of that information do you think is available online? So 
uh, should take a look and do a little digital detox and especially um, start taking a look at your passwords. So researchers wanted to see how easily passwords were able to be cracked. So on this chart on the left side is the number of characters and then the complexity across the top. So you can see even if you have a five character password, a mixture of all the different types of, of characters, it can be cracked in 10 seconds. If you go down to 15 characters, if it's a mix, it takes two trillion years to crack it. So where everything is headed is length, the longer the password, the more secure it is. But that's really difficult if you're trying to remember a password. You could use a passphrase, which is a long sentence with spaces and special characters. This is uh, an example of a great one. But the bigger problem is with password recycling. So are you, are you going to create a long, strong passphrase for every unique account? An easier solution is to use a password manager. There are a lot of great solutions that are out there for password management, but these are tools that you personally or your employees can use to create long, strong, random passwords for all of the sites that you log into and store them security, uh, securely. I'm sorry. Uh, I saw a statistic the other day that on average, uh, people are using 20 software as a service or cloud applications. It would be impossible to remember 20 passwords. So you, know, you want to have some tools that are going to help. And a lot of people say, well, what about if the password to my password manager gets compromised? That is where one of my most important tips comes into play. Um, this is one of the things that I preach about all the time is turn on two-factor authentication. If you take one tip from this webinar, turn on two-factor authentication anywhere that you can. You may already experience this if you log in you know, to your bank website from a, a different computer than you normally do. It will send you a text message with a code that you have to enter in. Um, so you're probably already using two-factor authentication in some areas of your life. Get this running on every, uh, website, every website, every application, anything that matters to you, put two-factor authentication on. Um, it's called two-factor authentication because it's a combination of something that you know, which is your username and password, and then the second factor is something that you have or something that you are. So if you're trying to log into a website, you put in your username and password, you can't get in until you enter a code. It could be sent to you in a text message, it could be on an app on your phone that produces a new random code every 30 seconds, maybe it's a key fob that you carry around or a little USB that you insert. Um, even if an attacker is able to get your password, as soon as they get to that point where they need that second factor, typically they're just going to move along to another account, go for that low-hanging fruit. Now, there's a great website down there called turnon2fa.com. You can go to learn how to enable two-factor authentication on any of your accounts that are uh, where it's available. If you leave this webinar with one actionable item, get this enabled wherever you possibly can. Um, I've had a couple people ask me recently about text message codes and the ways that attackers can, can spoof them or bypass two-factor authentication. If the site or the application that you're using only has the ability for SMS or text codes, turn it on. Some protection is better than none, and the likelihood of an attacker trying to bypass your two-factor authentication is, is pretty low. So, for a quick recap here, when it comes to anything social engineering, if you get an unexpected email, an unexpected text, or a phone call where they're asking you to fill in a form, click on a link, open an attachment, pay an invoice, or perform some type of action, or reply with confidential information, reach out to the sender and verify using a different method. So pick up the phone and call them on a known number. Uh, navigate directly to your LinkedIn page or your bank account page and log in from the known URL that you have. Um, if you have somebody's you know, text, uh, cell phone number, text them. Uh, don't just reply to the, the email or you know, talk to the caller on the phone because you're probably just talking to the attacker. Uh, trust but verify. Even if it's something you know, really silly, I do this all the time internally here, you know, just a, a quick message or a quick phone call. Hey, just wanted to make sure you sent me this. Yep, okay. Uh, make that part of your common practice because trust me, I wired $2.1 million to a cyber attacker. It's not a fun feeling. So we'll take a quick pause, see if we have any questions. While we're waiting, I thought I'd mention a few things in the, uh, in the first half of 2020, January through June, DDoS attacks rose by 151%. Cyber, I it. Yeah, cyber attacks are greater in the first six months all across the board than the entire year of 2019. 
Whew. Those are some, uh, those are some pretty telling statistics. My, uh, my tax planner that I was talking about earlier, um, he used the same password. He was telling me, and of course he knew he shouldn't, he knew he shouldn't use the, it should be hard, not easy. He didn't tell me it was password one, two, three, but he told me it was like that. <laughs> and he had it on 200 accounts, 200. That's 200 passwords he had to change. And now he knew he needed to use, he was talking to me and that was the first thing I told him to do, change all your passwords. And so he, uh, he downloaded a, uh, a password management uh, program and, and started doing that. I checked with him later in the week, last week, and, uh, and he still hadn't finished. I, I don't doubt it. So one of the things that I really recommend, and uh, I, I think it's on my agenda either today or tomorrow for, for my National Cybersecurity Awareness Month LinkedIn post is to do what I like to call a digital detox. Um, set yourself up with a password manager. There's plenty of free you know tools. I do not recommend using the one in your browser because there's no way to really protect that. You want to make sure that you can create a unique password. Anybody could log in and you know have that browser fill happen. You want to make sure that it's you know unique uh, and that you can protect it with two-factor authentication. I can get into my password manager with two-factor authentication faster than most people can type their their you know normal um, I love Fido 1964 password. Um, so it, it's there's plenty of extensions where you know there's apps on your phone and browser extensions to help with the autofill side of things. But um, when I first started working for a cybersecurity company, because I was guilty of the same thing, I had the same password for 15 years. When I got real fancy, I changed the A to an at sign. Um, so I did a digital detox and went through and changed. Every single time I came across a, an account that had my old username and password combination, I would just go into my password manager, create a new record, change the password right then and there. That way I wasn't trying to face a daunting task of changing 200 passwords in one day because there had been a compromise that had happened. I wanted to just go through one by one and as I came across them, you know, go in and create a, a new randomly generated unique password for every account. So start your digital detox now. Uh, just go through you know, one by one and do, start with the ones that matter the most and then you know get to the ones that you know I haven't I haven't logged into my Sephora account in 42 months so um, so let's talk a little bit more about now what so we've given you some tips and tricks and stories let's talk about how you can bolster some better cybersecurity one of the biggest things that we get asked is well I have antivirus in a firewall isn't that enough this is a really big challenge today in our cyber landscape. These attackers are altering and editing the, the code in their malware so frequently that it's difficult for traditional antivirus companies to keep up. Um, you know, traditional antivirus software, the way that it works is it, it goes up into the cloud and it gets all the new malware that has been detected by the antivirus company. It's got a big dictionary. It brings it down to your computer and it says, this is everything that we're aware of. So when you see it come up on a, on a computer, we want you to block it. But the problem is there are four to five new malware samples that are made every single second. It is virtually impossible for those antivirus companies to keep up with this speed. The attackers know that. So they're changing it all the time, deploying a new strain, sending an email, hoping that somebody you know interacts with it and that their antivirus won't pick it up. That's by the time we are done with this uh, call today, there will be almost 15,000 new pieces of malware that your antivirus might not know about. 350,000 new samples every single day. So it's pushing a rock uphill. And we also want you to think about the way that you look at cybersecurity. It's it's not a project. It's not something that, you know, you spend that time and the money and you do it once and then you're protected and you get to walk away. It's a posture that everyone in the organization has to take. Uh, entire company, top to bottom, has to have this attitude, um, kind of like a, like a red rover linking arms and creating that strong human firewall. And you need multiple layers. Most people immediately think of technology as a solution. You definitely need technology elements in place, uh, but you ha also have to have other things like, you know, culture where everyone understands how to be a cyber defender and protect the company and a layer of foundation, policies, procedures, plans, knowing what to do in, in the case of an incident. I wish that there was a technology silver bullet for cybersecurity. I wish we could just say, you know, sign up for the service, install it, you're going to be good to go, but it just doesn't exist. So instead, we have to take this defense in depth strategy. We've got to stop that uh, that attacker. Uh, anybody that's ever had a, a marketing um, 
course or anything. Think of this as kind of like a, a reverse funnel. Um, so we've got that hacker at the top of the funnel. He's trying to get down to the bottom and trying to take our information or force us to pay a ransom. So how do we stop him? First, we go with some threat modeling and a risk assessment. We got to figure out our weaknesses. You know, what data or information are we trying to protect? Where does it live? What are the risks if something were to happen? What would be the downtime associated with that? How much would that cost us? What are all of the, the negative things that could happen if uh, an attacker was able to get to that information? And what are the things that we can do to prevent it? Great way to start off with that is with a cybersecurity assessment. Um, this is about 150 questions. It's going to take you through everything that you have in place and show you exactly where you have strengths and weaknesses. So the next part of that funnel is implementation of those things. So looking at the things that we could do, seeing the ones that are going to have the biggest impact, and looking at how we can stop those attacks from even reaching us. Uh, usually we start that off with some monitoring of our systems, scanning to see where there are known vulnerabilities on our networks, our computers, our websites that we're able to fix quickly or inexpensively. And then we want to filter out some email. Uh, so if there are spam or phishing emails coming in, your Gmail or your Office 365 can recognize that and keep those attacks from reaching your inbox. Um, so we'll look for vulnerabilities on our networks and our devices. Um, we can also take that a step further and see if a bad guy was trying to get into our network, how far could they get in, what type of information would they be able to get out so we could run kind of like these fire drills and give you a risk rating and recommendations on how to prevent a break-in in the future. Uh, we can look and see if any of your employees have compromised credentials that are available on the dark web. A majority of the companies that we run this for have exposed username and passwords and credentials. Um, so we can look for that and also take a look at uh, websites and applications for any vulnerabilities or malware injections. Uh, so once we you know, look around, if that attacker is able to get through any of those uh, filters and you know, if we've scanned and we missed a, a vulnerability that was able to be exploited, the next step is proper authentication, training, and policies. So thinking back on the earlier part of this and how these attackers operate, I'm going to do my research. So I want to attack a Defendify employee. I might research on LinkedIn. I see that Elise is the operations manager. So I craft an email with a malicious PDF that has some code in it that's going to allow me to take over her computer. Uh, I'm going to attach that PDF to a phishing email, and it's going to say, I need you to look at this or payment information, payroll information, and see if anything is, is incorrect, and please uh, let me know, and we've got our little malicious attachment there. So we know that Elise has received good guidance on how to use technology within the organization, clear policies that have been developed in, and in place, acceptable uses of technology, uh, confirming identities of people requesting information, either through email or over the phone. Uh, Elise receives notifications about cyber-related topics, scams, vulnerabilities, uh, different types of phishing emails that might be going out. Hopefully, the filtering keeps that email from reaching Elise's inbox, but if it does, that next line of defense is making sure that she's been trained. So she's had ongoing and up-to-date awareness training videos, uh, monthly phishing simulations to build up that muscle memory and recognizing that it's an attack that's coming in. And because of that ongoing training and reinforcement, Elise says, you know what, I'm gonna give the CFO a call and quickly verify this. And when she picks up the phone, she's gonna really quickly notice that it didn't come from the CFO, she's not going to open it, and it's going to be crisis averted. But what if Elise opens that email and that malware runs on the computer? So this is where the encryption and endpoint protection comes into play. So hopefully her devices are patched and there aren't any vulnerabilities to, to exploit. It's got, she has advanced malware protection that's capable of noticing when something bad is actually trying to happen and the characteristics of that and be able to stop it. So hopefully, you know, we can put an end to it there. But let's say worst case scenario, uh, you know, it's not that doesn't happen, the malware starts running on our computer, um, you know, it, it is, ends up being a ransomware file, the ransom message pops up, and it encrypts everything on her computer. 
if Elise has been trained, she can immediately follow her incident response plan. And that's going to have step-by-step -step instructions of exactly what to do, how to go through and shut down the computer, disconnect it from the network, contact the IT people about the problem, exactly who's responsible for what um, part of the incident response, notes for her to take along the way. If we have good backups in place, then we can quickly restore that computer and get Elise back up and running without that ransomware spreading to, to my computer or Ron and you avoid having to you know, pay Elise's salary and everybody else's while she's unable to be productive. Uh, but if the employees aren't trained and you don't have that clear incident response plan or you don't have good backups in place, those attackers could be in the network for weeks or months, uh, like in the case of Anthem. They could move laterally to other workstations or data systems and just be collecting a lot of information out of our, our networks. Um, so all of these pieces have to work together to help you to prevent those bad things from happening. Um, if something does occur, we want to be able to lessen or reduce that damage and help to be able to recover more quickly. Um, so out of all of those different things, and to thank you for spending the last 53 minutes with us, um, Ron has a special announcement here. You ready to take it back over, Ron? Sure. We're offering, I'm going to let you fill that in, a free essentials packet. Now this is, uh, this is offering a, a, a mini, if you will, uh, risk assessments, a cybersecurity health checkup. We clarify, as it says, current posture and areas for improvement. A network vulnerability scanner, I can't tell you how important that is. It obviously identifies issues and exploits, but it also, uh, along with that, now we know what to review, now we know what to, uh, know what to change, what to fix. And then, of course, the threats alert system. This keeps the, the things that are going on uppermost in mind. One of my favorite phrases is think before you click. I made it the subtitle of my book, but threats alert system is, is one tool that helps you do that. You just see an article on the uh, uh, school district since we were just talking about it, uh, Clark County School District, that has been a uh, ransomware attack and now uh, everything's been, uh, been posted on the web. Well, that reminds you, you know, maybe I should, uh, I should view this email just as you've been taught. I can't tell you how important I think education is in all of this. And you can get these three items, which are extremely valuable for free. Now we've got a, a little special thing that's just started. I'm gonna give it back to you, Shanna. And just uh, quickly here, if we're looking at this defense in depth side of things, mm -hmm. that really covers three of these first uh, elements. So we've got a risk assessment, scanning on the external network side of things and some training like staying up to date on all of those different attack methods and vectors so that's a pretty good foundation for starting to to keep those attackers out of the network so very uh very interesting oh get the last one up there now i've, I've got clients that have already enrolled in this there's something new that's just been announced let us yes. know Absolutely. So if, you know, the next step of that defense in depth is if, if all of those technology solutions and the risk assessment and, you know, the, the filters and the scanning and all of that fails, the next and, in my opinion, most important line of defense in, in your organization is your human firewall. Um, so we're going to help you do a little bit of people patching. If you are an existing client that is in that essentials package uh, or even the base Defendify platform, we have a promotion for National Cybersecurity Awareness Month where you get the employee awareness package, which is the dark web stolen password scanning, phishing simulation, so you'll get a great baseline and see where your team is, how, how many uh, clicking time bombs you have on your team ready to blow everything up from the inside out, and the monthly Ninjio microlearning videos, uh, and that is at no charge for the month of October. So um, it's only good through the end of October if you, and we're at the sixth right now, so um, if you have not taken advantage of those services before, if you don't know if you have any compromised credentials on the dark web, um, or you want to see just how click prone your team is, then definitely contact Ron. He can get you set up with, you know, your Defendify Essentials tools that you see here, as well as those additional employee awareness uh, modules as well. So 
kick the tires, you know, see where your team stands, give them some education and training. What better month than October, my favorite month, um, and get them, uh, get them all set up. So we'll leave it open for any questions right now and um, request your free tools. Give Ron a call. Um, let him know what you thought about our human hacking webinar. If you learned anything from it, you can drop it in the chat or shoot Ron an email. And we'll leave it up for any other questions. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. I want to add just a few things. So any questions that we don't, do not get to uh, this afternoon and, and probably not going to get to any after we've got just two or three minutes left. Um, I've got your email with your registration. So go ahead and ask whatever questions you like, and I will respond to them. So all will be answered. But I, I can't stress enough, if you're a client of mine, already a client, or even if you're not a client, contact me and let's get started in the free side of things. If you're not already involved, if you are involved, take advantage of the, of the, the package that Shannon just recommended. Get involved in that because now you can, you can test the water with the free side, but you can also, if you're already on the free side, test the water with the rest of the package at no charge for the month of October. Happy Cybersecurity Awareness Month, or NCSAM, uh, we might say, National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, to all of you. And Shanna, thank you for a great presentation. Always my pleasure, Ron. I, uh, I enjoy jumping on these things with you. And um, if you haven't already talked to Ron about your cybersecurity needs, he does a fantastic job of, you know, helping to, you know, look and see, you know, what, what do you need? Do you need to build a moat around your castle? Do you just need one archer perched up there? Do we just need to pull the drawbridge up? Like, you know, what, what exactly do he takes a, an amazing consultative approach? I mean, hey, maybe you don't even need to care about cybersecurity. If you could keep, still keep your business up and running and be able to bill your customers and collect your money, if if something were to happen, but in this day and age, I doubt it. So um, let him help you decide what you need and look at, um, look at that relative to your business, your needs, and take advantage of some free tools. Great. Thank you for, uh, for listening in and watching. Uh, I look forward to talking with any of you that have any uh, questions or comments or thoughts. And Shannon, thank you again. Thank you. Until next time. Bye-bye.